Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. It's Justin Cuthbert, and it's Jesse Rubinoff this hey, morning. Our maiden voyage. What's going on? Happy to be here. Uh, not much, not much. Just another Monday morning. Monday mornings, because you've done this shift a couple times. We were yeah. talking about it before. But Monday morning's the most difficult because the body won't let you get to sleep. That's so dealing with one. a little bit of a shorthand 100%. on Monday. That's a tough one. You always want to try and get some early rest or get to bed earlier than normal mm-hmm. when you know you're getting up for the morning show the next day. Yeah. And your body just says, absolutely not happening. So you're yes. just rolling around all Sunday night mm-hmm. into the wee hours of Monday morning. And then you get up. We got we to gotta bring the heat today. Yeah, it's like, it's like it's your best, you know, your best efforts kind of work against you in that sense. Like yeah. it's it, it, you try to do your best, but it's 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 like a it's like a baby or a toddler going to bed. Like if it's too soon, it's going to be rough. Right. Yeah. But if it's the right time or you push it just a little bit and accept you're going to have a little less sleep on a Monday morning because that's the reality. Then it's maybe a little bit easier. I did make a concerted effort yesterday to stop the caffeine intake by like 1 mm. p.m. Which sucks on a Sunday. You want to be doing that all day I long know. on a Sunday. I know. But so you, Sundays are four. Usually. So usually when I, you know, if I work at night or whatever around here uh, working on Sports and Central, I'll have my last coffee at like three. Mm. And that'll sustain me for the rest of the night. And then yesterday I tried to cut it off. Didn't matter. Did not matter. <laughs> no, didn't matter. No, you got to cut it off a lot earlier. Than didn't that. matter whatsoever. No. Uh, you've been a busy guy. You've been going, uh, you know, around town. You've been on location for us all last week at the National Bank Open. Yeah. You have any National Bank Open takeaways after Sinner and Pagula win the men's and women's respectively? A busy week for you guys. You guys I, weren't broadcasting on the weekend, but uh, I'm sure you're able to see and hear some pretty cool things. Yeah. First week. of all. Um, you know, shout out to to Devang Desai, who is the co-host for the week, and uh, Tristan Marcagiani, who is the producer on the show, and uh, a lot of great help from a, a lot of different people and great guests throughout the week. Uh, one one big takeaway: these guys are really good, man. Mm-hmm. Like the tennis players are very very good, and you see them up close. I I made the comparison to you know, a big golf fan, and I went to whenever you go see the the Canadian Open and whatever. It's there's a different sound when guys swing the golf club, right? right? Then the amateurs and tennis was the same way. There's a different pop off the racket and you start to get a sense of just how, how fit you have to be really to be a professional tennis player. It's just practice for hours and hours and hours. And that's before they go out and play their match. And obviously uh, there were some weather issues over the course of, of the two weeks, but it was hot at different times last week and they're playing in 30 degree heat just for hours at that level is ridiculous. And like, obviously we gave Milos Raonic his flowers uh, last week, uh, gets two wins at the National Bank Open, yeah. but just kind of not cold because he played at Wimbledon and he's been around a little bit, but making kind of this unexpected impromptu is maybe the wrong word, but unexpected. And he kind of just shows up and then you're beating guys. You're beating mm-hmm. the 10th ranked in the world, Tiafo, where it's just like, oh, it's how, how do you just come off the couch and do something like that, understanding the fitness level? But, you know, he looks like he's still in great shape and was able to get it done uh, in the way that he did before he, I don't want to say ran out of gas, ran into someone who could actually, you know, handle that serve and, and beat him. But yeah, you're right about that. I mean, 
the, the, the fitness level and how everything's so calculated, right? Because the National Bank Open is important. I mean, Sanders first win, uh, Masters 1000 win, which is uh, very important to put under your belt. Totally. But this is also part of the ramp up process to the U.S. Open and everything's calculated in terms of energy expenditure and getting to peak at the right time. And the National Bank Open is definitely a part of that process on the on the hard court. Uh, and cool to see guys, you know, some people are taking it a, a little bit of a different route and some people have maybe more ambition. People are working on things at mm-hmm. this event uh, as opposed to, you know, putting everything out there. But when you factor all that stuff in, uh, just watching those guys. And again, I'm, I'm kind of using your words here because I've never seen it up close, uh, but you can tell when you're around it, which is the different yeah. level that it is, in fact, that different level. No, it's a, it's a really good point, too. Again, Novak Djokovic was not a part of the National Bank Open this year because of fatigue is what he said, right? So you just get a sense of how drained these guys are. And Novak was coming off that ridiculous Wimbledon final against Carlos Alcaraz. And I guess that's another one of my takeaways from the week is that there is a real electricity and buzz when it comes to Carlos Alcaraz. Mm-hmm. Tennis is searching for who that next person they're going to put up on a pedestal is and it seems like Carlos Alcaraz has been the one that's anointed yeah. and now you saw with the Annex Center winning yesterday there there are a cluster there's a group there that can challenge Alcaraz without a doubt there's the Sinners and uh, the Sitsi Passes and the Holger Runas and the Casper Roots they are an excellent crop of young players but walking around the grounds of the National Bank Open on days where Carlos Alcaraz was playing, mm. you knew that's why most people were there because this guy has charisma. He has the talent. It felt like his career took another massive step with the win over Djokovic at Wimbledon. And it feels like he's the type of guy that, I don't know, you don't want to put too much expectation on the kid. He's just 20 years old. But it feels like he's the one that could not challenge the Grand Slam record. But if there is one player of a generation that's, going to win a lot of grand slams it seems like it's going to be carlos algaraz yeah and i guess it's important then that you know the guy he identified as potentially his foil if they're coming up over the next 10 years in center uh, yep. gets the victory gets a victory that he didn't have before uh, a masters 1000 victory because if you're going to be someone who's going to be a rival or considered anything even close to a rival uh getting some victories probably pretty important but getting some head-to-head victories maybe would be the the thing that would really set you up mm-hmm. uh but for now bragging rights goes to tommy paul who was able to knock carlos Alcaraz out of the tournament uh, on Friday night. I didn't see much of uh, the happenings in Montreal because it was just a disaster from a weather perspective. <laughs> it like, really was. Even if you plan to, you yeah. might be a little disappointed because you were running into weather and and, and uh, really difficult uh, some difficult issues that they had to work through. Uh, Samsonova, who lost in the final, played twice on Sunday, played Absurd. twice on Friday. Like, and she really did not have much of a chance, but not to diminish Jessica Pagula, who, as I mentioned, the champion uh, in Montreal at the National Bank Open. Okay, so it's, you know, this time of year is interesting, right? Because, you know, these people still taking vacations. The Blue Jays are obviously playing their most important games of the mm-hmm. season before they get to their next most important games of the season uh, in September. But there's a bit of a change in feeling, at least that I go through every year around this time, mid-August, where it's like, okay, you can see the finish line on summer. You can start to anticipate and ready yourself for other things. So from a sporting standpoint, Jesse, what are you excited about when there's when, when you're considering the changing seasons, what's ahead, what we've gone through to this point, and what, you know, the sports calendar, I don't know if it officially starts at any time, but if I had to answer that question or answer my own question... I'd probably say Labor Day is when the sports calendar kind of starts because everything starts anew in the fall. And, of course, you get the NFL season. So Mm -hmm. if we're doing like, okay, 
times are about to change here, at least in the sporting landscape and what we're going to be talking about from a day to day. What what does have you excited about what's ahead? Yeah, no, I think you're bang on. Like, there's really two parts of the calendar that really kick into high gear. It's the April, like March and April, when March Madness is going on. You have the Masters in April that really kicks off golf season, and then October. And September and October when football season really gets going. So if I'm looking at things that are coming up, uh, the fantasy draft Mm. football league chat is fired up trying to figure out all the details for the draft coming Mm. up. Um, NFL uh, preseason got into high gear this weekend. So there's, uh, there's that. And of course uh, the pennant race, which just feels like uh, what an interesting year to be a Toronto blue Jay fan. Cause it just feels like the expectations uh, they haven't, met them despite the fact that they're where they are in the standings currently in a playoff spot in 12 games above 500. But there's a different a level of pressure watching baseball as you get to this time of the year. And, and that's what I'm feeling. Even watching the games over the course of the weekend, like there's a different intensity that I even watch it with yeah. even following the team. So I would say uh, football for one, kicking it up a notch and baseball coming down the stretch here. It was an interesting weekend in terms of, uh, I guess, the specter of Bautista, the context of Bautista, the the memories, the recollections, uh, comparing feelings. I think that's a big one, right? Because 2015, if we're doing like landmark moments in my like sports consuming life, Mm -hmm. it's, it's right there near the top because it was completely different, right? Like you and I are probably around the same age. We are around the same age and we probably don't remember 92, 93, if at all. I think you were around for it. I was definitely around for it, but we're not consciously viewing that. And when you're growing up and that was something that was, you know, it happened a few years ago, but you weren't a part of, you're just seeing the same team in the twenty in the two thousands and the I guess the twenty tens, early twenty tens, sort of running into the same wall. Like a lot of seasons, they were very competitive, but they were not even fourth best, or they were not even second best. Brutal in the jerseys too, for being and honest. And they had brutal jerseys, yeah, yeah. And, and and the vibes were just not as good, <laughs> right? But they, it seemed like there was a hard ceiling, and the guy who broke them or helped them break that ceiling was Bautista. Like I, I think if there's a legacy and I guess I didn't answer my question, but we can, we can circle back on and we should go to Bautista now is the legacy for me or is me is that he made things possible, mm. right? He, when he first showed up, it was like, Oh, you don't even notice it. I definitely did not even blink when it happened. But when you start hitting 54 home runs, it's like, okay, we don't have the team success yet. But we've got something that other teams don't have. We got the home run king in the major leagues, uh, leads the league in home runs back-to-back seasons. Like, okay, things are possible. And then you start to build around Jose Bautista and you build it up towards 2015 and 16 where they have the sort of success and they give you the sort of memories and they give you the sort of moments that you never had before unless you were conscious and alive and a fan in 92 in 93. So I really think that's the legacy for me. And that's why it made it so interesting. And so it, it stops you in your tracks watching on Saturday. And granted, I wasn't, didn't have a chance to watch Saturday, watched it in full on Sunday. Sportsnet YouTube page has it all. You should watch it if you haven't, because the memories that you go through and the times you had, it brought me to this conclusion, which is it doesn't feel the same right now. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, it does not feel like it did in 2015 right now. And it's probably because you don't have Jose Bautista and you don't have Eddie and you don't have Josh Donaldson and the, and the lineup just isn't as good. They do some things better than they did. They certainly pitch better than they did. But for whatever reason, the baseball is important and you're d- dialed in and you're locked in and it feels big but it doesn't feel like 2015, at least for me. Yeah, it's like until th- there's a team that can surpass 
what the 2015-16 Toronto Blue Jays did, that is going to be the standard of this generation, right? And you're bang on. Jose Bautista, when he came over, he had topped out with the Pirates of 16 home runs. This was not expected of him what transpired, right? And he was traded uh, for Robinson Diaz, who finished in two seasons with one home run. Think of the difference there. What a, what a deal that was made by the Toronto Blue Jays. Pretty- but you're, he kind of like put them on the map, similar to... Uh, I think about Vince Carter and how people always talk about Vince Carter putting the Toronto Raptors on the map. It's not that Bautista. They weren't in the same uh, trajectory in franchises, obviously. The Raptors were very, very new. But the Blue Jays were going through the doldrums, this big, this chunk of 20-ish years where they really struggled, the 22-year playoff drought. And once Bautista came over, and then you had the deadline moves to bring over the Tulos and the David Prices, that really, I think, ratcheted things up even more and started to get you to believe, okay, this team is actually serious. And when you ask Bautista now and you talk to him about the teams where he really thought he had a chance, that 2015 team was extraordinary. And he looks back on that and says, that was the one that I think got away mm-hmm. over the weekend prior to the uh, Bautista ceremony. I-, I was with a couple of buddies over the weekend and we watched the seventh inning in its entirety on YouTube. And dude, that has to be, the most remarkable, definitely seventh inning in the history of baseball, if not one of the craziest innings in all of baseball, whatever it was, 55 minutes, just Jeff Bannister running out of the dugout every two seconds, fans throwing things, which I don't obviously condone, but nonetheless, I was in the building for that, and it was an electric, electric atmosphere. When I think about Jose Bautista and putting the Blue Jays back on the map, there was this ferocity and intensity that he and I think Josh Donaldson uh, was played a big role in that as yep. well, but Bautista had this like this this glare that really showed you okay we're the Toronto Blue Jays we're not going to be pushed around we're not going to be messed with and I think that that goes a long way and I, I don't know if I see that in this team currently. Yeah, yeah, I, I, definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not. Like, and that's the thing. He is kind of one of a kind, so maybe that's too much to ask sure, for. Sure. And, and, and to a certain ex- uh, extent, uh, but other teams right now have things that the Blue Jays don't have. But no, I don't think any team right now has uh, what Jose Bautista no, gave yeah. to, the, to the Toronto Blue Jays. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think 2015 happens without you know, Bautista sort of changing what it meant or mm-hmm. changing what the expectations were, almost demanding, probably tacitly, probably with his performance, probably maybe a little bit with his words. Uh, but it, what we saw and what we will cling to, I think we're going to be clinging to 2015 because it happened at the right time in our lives forever. Yeah. Like, I, I don't... Watching the seventh inning is probably going to happen 20 years, 25 years, probably be showing kids one day what the seventh inning was and why it meant so much. I mean, it it is one of the truly memorable and landmark sports moments in our lives. And of course, Bautista, you know, was at the heart of it and, you know, bat flipping his way through it. So he will always be front and center. He will always be there in our minds and he's obviously going to live forever uh, in the level of excellence, which is truly a great honor. Uh, When you watch the ceremony mm-hmm. what, what was the number one thing that stood out to you i think the the class with which the organization handled it mm-hmm. i thought was uh it was spectacular it was about 40 minute ceremony and to have former teammates contributing and the video tributes and edwin being there being a part of it and it's, now he's back in the the dugout in full uniform <laughs> special advisor role which i thought was really cool uh but i i wasn't expecting jose to be as emotional as he was 
either, which kind of made me a little bit emotional and probably the same for, yeah. for everybody else yeah. watching. Because you, when you think of Jose Bautista, again, you think of this super intense, ferocious competitor. But then at the end of the day, when, when he's looking back on all the memories and all the things he contributed to this city, to this country, to this organization, uh, he certainly got choked up. And I would have liked him to not wear the sunglasses and just like enjoy it and live it yeah. and show us but show that's kind of Jose right that is like Jose. I was going to say veteran move where in the because he knew yeah <laughs> but Jose is not a guy who shows weakness right no. and maybe like his maybe that was part of his success mm-hmm. like a, a refusal to be vulnerable in a mm-hmm. lot of ways because he always had to be on because he didn't have the skills that a lot of guys had it wasn't can't miss like he had to kind of be and act bigger than he was in order yeah. to be as big as he was, if that makes any no, it sense. Definitely and, makes sense. And equating sunglasses and crying at a yeah. ceremony is maybe a little bit of a stretch, but it kind of feels Jose to me uh, uh, to a certain extent. So I kind of thought it was pretty apt. Even with his batting stance, like with the way he like covered almost all of his face with his left arm and mm. only had the eyes staring down into the pitcher. Like there was such an intimidation factor there that anytime he came out to the plate, even I think back to like the, the stretching, the back stretches prior to walking into the batter's box, like he became basically uh, an icon in this city and in this country. When, when they brought him over, that was the biggest afterthought possible like you thought you were getting a utility guy Mm -hmm. and then he goes out and hits 54 home runs out of absolute nowhere and you said it that basically completely altered the trajectory of those early 2010 teams because they were not expected to compete they were kind of middling the ugly jerseys they were even a little bit worse than they were yeah and you know it, it felt hopeless before that but even with him hitting those home runs i guess i'd have to pull it up but like it, was, it wasn't leading to great success. It exactly. was individual success. It was like, okay, are we going to have the team success that followed? And I think without that individual success, the team success probably doesn't because maybe there's no impetus to build because you finally had someone and you weren't expecting to have someone mm-hmm. with, the, you know, making that really, really low-level trade at the time you did. I started uh, in my career here as an intern with Blue Jay Central in like 2011, 2012. And I remember nights like a Tuesday night against the Minnesota Twins. Like Mm -hmm. there was nobody in the building. There was no buzz. There was no electricity. There was nothing going on. And then the the stark contrast of those years versus I think when they when they started making the moves, the Ray Jose Reyes move and the Mark Burley move and the Josh Johnson, those didn't pan out. But at least they were trying. Yeah. I I remember where I was when those trades dropped, right? Mm -hmm. I remember sitting on the couch and refreshing Twitter and being like, What what the heck just happened, right? And that at least proved that they were they were trying to accelerate the process a little bit. And then Jose, when he had his big years, that was the real catalyst to those competitive 2015, 16 years where they were in the ALCS. And it, it feels like, especially the 2015 team, really should have won a World oh, yeah. Series. Like, it feels like we look back on, at least for our generation, because you said we weren't consciously uh, watching 92, 93 it feels like those are the teams that we hold up on the biggest pedestals as teams that are essentially almost World Series champions, even though they win the American League. That Yeah, that was definitely part of it. Like, it, it was, it's not bittersweet at all. I mean, that was like 98% sweet. But yeah. you, when you think back on 2015, it's all good memories, but it also should have been, right? Because I, I, one of my big takeaways from the weekend was like, I don't think we knew how good we had it. Mm-hmm. Because... Yeah, it wasn't like a perfect lineup. It was really, it was damn good though in 2015. 
And Eddie and Josh, who, you know, you didn't see any Donaldson this weekend, which may be a little disappointing, but you see Eddie, you see the relationship he has with Jose. It was, it wasn't like you came up together. It wasn't as though it's the Bo and Vlad of 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. These guys were a little bit more advanced, but what a partnership they had and what a team they were able to build around them. And it is disappointing looking back that they didn't win. But one of my big takeaways from the weekend is we kind of, I, I, I don't know if we, I'll ask you, do you, did you know how good we had it when it was 2015? Like we knew how exciting it was in the moment that summer where they're hitting all those home runs. Mm -hmm. They were very average until they weren't until they made some moves and everything sort of came together. But I feel like it was supposed to be with Bo and Vlad. It was supposed to be the same thing. It was supposed to feel the same way and has not felt the same way yet. But even then looking back, I don't think we knew in the moment how special it really was because you can try to do your best to get back to that point with a new crop of players. And there's no assurances. There's no promises. And it feels like despite how high we hold it in regard, we still didn't even know how good it was in the moment. Yeah. I think you're hundred percent right. Like we always tend to look back on the past and past successes with incredibly rose-colored glasses, right? And I remember, you think about all the flack that the current Blue Jays front office takes from uh, the fan base, and, and sometimes it's justified, and other times it may not be. But people now, when they talk about Alex Anthopoulos, they consider him to be one of the great executives in the history of this country, right? And he's but had some success. He has, yeah. there's no question. But at the time... Prior to those moves, prior to the David Price moves, prior to the Troy Tulowitzki, he was much maligned. And mm-hmm. people forget that, right? Yes, he had incredible success with those moves, but it's not like he was incredible the entire way through. And I think people forget that oftentimes. Like they long for things from the past. Do you long for someone with the personality of Bautista in the lineup like we were talking about? You long for Alex Anthopoulos to swing for the fences. But there were some tough times with Alex Anthopoulos at the helm too. I remember being at season ticket holder meetings where fans were irate about the direction of the team, but people don't talk about that anymore. They don't remember that. They talk about the successes and that's what we tend to do after success. You look back and you say, wow, how amazing that was, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not always that way. You also have to, I think, sprinkle in and remember the times that, that also weren't so good. Yeah, I mean, the two easiest things to do in, like, any sport if you're a general manager is to, you know, accrue futures assets to sell off and to spend them, to go all in, right? Like, if you just have the currency, you generally can spend it. What's hard is balancing the two, and that's what this new management team has been trying to do Mm -hmm. basically since it it arrived, right? That is the most difficult thing is to have an elite team but not have it come at the cost of everything else. And fortunately for Alex Anthopoulos, who I do worry – is like this is sort of a Kyle Dubas parallel where it's like, okay, you, you clearly you came up and you learned some things and you took some knocks at your first stop. Yeah. I don't know if it's the exact first stop, but where your first major, major gig where you had the controls and you make mistakes and you have success. And then we long for you because, hey, you've had greater success after because you mm-hmm. learned a thing or two at your first stop, right? Like sometimes... Uh, we were talking to, I think it was Barker, and he says, you know, your third, your third team, that's where you have your success as a pitcher. And it sucks for the second team, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you help get them yeah. to the point where they're just about to make that their inroads, where you did a lot of the legwork and you don't get any credit for it, and I, or you don't get any of the flowers for it. And, of course, Alex Anthopoulos, will, as you mentioned, we, always, we look back on him fondly. We look back maybe longing that he was still here in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, or at least we did a little bit earlier, uh, uh, you know, right after his departure. 
Um, but in some ways, he maybe needed to move on. Maybe to be the best general manager, he had to be in a different spot. Maybe he had to learn what he learned here with the Blue Jays. I fear that might be the same thing with Kyle Dubas, but not to make everything a Leaf discussion. Uh, that's <laughs> kind, kind of how it goes sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and, and with Anthopolis, yeah, pushing all the chips on the table, it's kind of the easy thing. And if you can remember it for pushing the chips on the table and bringing good memories to a franchise, well, I guess that's a good position to be in. Yeah, I think much of the frustration, I think, with this current front office, like Anthopolis is loved in, in large part because he was able to push the chips to the middle and it worked out for him and this front office. I think what they're struggling with at this current point in time is they haven't fully, fully gone for it with the moves that they've made, but they also have diminished the farm system more than they have really at any point of their tenure, which is a little bit concerning from Mm -hmm. a blue Jays fan perspective, right? Because they were lauded for, like you said, having a balance of success with the big club, but also having a sustainable farm system that where the cupboards are not bare. And currently they're in the lower third, if not the bottom 10 in terms of farm system rankings among the major leagues. So I think the frustration for me, when I look at what they've done over the last number of deadlines is at what point did you ever really fully jump in with both feet? Cause if you're going to diminish the farm system, why not just completely diminish it and at least give your big club the very best chance to win. Right. And you can say, yeah, well, they went out and got the best reliever at the trade deadline, Jordan Hicks. And that is true. But then you also should have done your very best to go out and get, I don't know if the best hitter is, is fair, but why, why jump in with only, why only dip your toe yep. in the deep end? Right. So I think that uh, is a, is a criticism that I would have uh, of the front office at this current point in time, but also they're still a very good team. And I think the front office probably has higher expectations than what this team has shown you. And that's probably why they didn't make moves. They probably said, we think we're good enough mm-hmm. because why would they go out and get a rental in Jordan Hicks if they, if they didn't, right? And they may have tried to do more. But this team, I think in their eyes, still has what it takes to, to probably compete for a World Series, World Series title. What's clear is they're trying to win in, in a different way than 2015. They're yeah. trying to club their way to a World Series in 2015. If they had even a semblance of what we have now from a pitching standpoint, it, it might have been a wrap, right? Yeah. Like Because they were that good offensively. Uh, but there are multiple multiple ways to win, uh, and it looks like they want to go one direction clearly, and they went that way at the deadline, adding to what was already a strength. But if you look at this weekend, I mean, Kevin Biggio, David Schneider, and Kevin Biggio being your fifth hitters uh, over the course of three games, like, it's not scaring many people. No. And when half the lineup is, we were talking about that l- this last week, for the most part, hitting sub-225, sub-250, that's that's easy if you're a guy like Justin Steele to work through uh, more often than not. And you're going to be seeing nothing generally that uh, but good pitching in playoff games. And if playoff starters, playoff relievers get a chance to go through real soft lineups with regularity, it's going to put a, it makes the margins thin. and It's going to put a lot of pressure on pitchers to be perfect. And who wasn't perfect this weekend? Jose Brios and Chris Bassett. Yep. And they lost the Chris Bassett and Jose Brios starts. And thankfully the offense point. did come around on Sunday and Hunjin Ryu was able to give them uh, as good or better uh, performance uh, than what we saw previously. And it resulted at least in salvaging one. We'll get to that in a second, but just want to go a little bit more on the level of excellence in Saturday with Jose Bautista the gifts. He gave us a lot. We uh, He got a lot in return. Uh, he's got the mural on 99 Spadina that will live forever, yeah, apparently, which is, which is awesome. He gets some Muskoka, Muskoka chairs, excuse me, a big donation, but the one that's on the tip of everyone's tongue 
is the pendant, the diamond pendant. I, I, it's, it's awesome. It's very cool. Number 19 with a bat, a little Blue Jays logo. Yeah. I don't know how many diamonds there are in it, but I'm going to guess upwards of 100 is probably <laughs> uh, a safe it's bet. Like a Super Bowl ring. But it had me thinking like, okay, you know, Super Bowl rings, exactly, change over time, right? Mm-hmm. Like you see a guy who was playing in 1972, I think they were playing Super Bowls in 1972. Anyway, one of the first Super Bowl rings ever given out. If you see it on an old guy's hand, uh, it's small. It's pretty muted. It's not exactly that flashy. It might look like a university ring or something like that. So I was thinking like, okay, what A, did they give a guy like Dave Steeb? What did Dave (laughs) Steeb get in terms of gifts? Because it wasn't a pendant that has 100 diamonds. And what, yeah, what exactly, like what would be... The request, like does Bautista request, hey, give me a little, give me a little jewelry. That's what I'm looking for. I want to know what Dave Steve got. I looked it up. I couldn't find anything, but I, yeah, a hug, (laughs) hug and maybe, maybe Muskoka chairs, maybe doing Muskoka chairs at that, at that point. But yeah, uh, I think the gifts are going to continue to evolve and they evolved and peaked at a, at a pretty good time for Jose Bautista because that thing's probably worth a lot of money. Yeah. The closest thing that I can think of seeing a pendant like that is when, uh, Sauce Gardner, I think recently gave Aaron Rodgers uh, a diamond pendant just for, for joining the Jets, just which cause. is, uh, just just cause, cause, which yeah. is hilarious. Uh, different standards for getting a pendant mm. in that case. Uh, but yeah, I, Batista will never wear that, right? Like, what do you do? What do you do? That's what I always wonder with jewelry of that magnitude. Like, even a World Series ring or, or a yeah. ring for any of the major sports when you win, like, what do you do with it? Because it's so big and so out there that, like, you can't go out to, like, a a restaurant and wear that pendant around your neck. I mean, you could like, like where, like what are you getting? It's ridiculous. Super Bowl ring's tough because, like, if you're at a restaurant, you wouldn't be able to eat dinner wearing it. Like, Correct. it would end up in the sauce. Like, yeah. I don't know how you would. I don't know how you'd uh, be able to do that. I guess he could wear that. Maybe he wears it because he doesn't have a World Series ring with the Blue Jays yeah. to like any future Blue Jays related events. I guess he could just keep it in in a safe somewhere on yeah. on like a yeah, just on a shelf, it, and and that's all he can do. It could probably send his. Four dollar daughters to college uh, exactly. if, if you need it. I don't think, uh, but he's kind of an understated guy. I mean, we we caught up with him at Joe Carter's uh, golf classic earlier in the summer, and we had a chance to talk to Jose and Joe at the mm-hmm. same time. It was uh, amazing. The two guys who hit the most famous home runs in Blue Jays history, but also major league history. Uh, <laughs> if uh, you know, maybe top ten, both them, uh, maybe not top ten, but you know, pretty close. Two really memorable moments, and they're kind of having a laugh, but. My my thing from him was, or my takeaway from Jose was, he's kind of he's not like a he's not a flashy guy at all. It wasn't like he's larger than life. He feels larger than life, like in mm-hmm. my mind, right? But he wasn't like that. It was kind of understated. So, uh, not that uh, you know, one conversation in my mind should preclude him from ever wearing that thing. But I don't know if he's going to be like hanging out in Florida, you just walking down the street and going out, uh, uh, flashing that thing all, all the time. Uh, but that is uh, <laughs> so that is they, a pretty cool gift. Maybe they missed. Maybe maybe they should have spoken to Jose before and said, "We don't, you know, maybe uh, you're not you're not as flashy, so you probably shouldn't be getting this because that certainly doesn't seem like it matches an understated personality. That thing is just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Well, they're talking about how. Oh, it's like new lake house. Like I love when they give like boats out to someone. Yeah. Like, yeah. Enjoy this boat. Like I want a boat. If I, if it was me, I don't even have access to like a boat ramp or yeah. whatever they're called, <laughs> but I want a boat. I want someone to give me a boat one day. Oh, uh, and I guess Jose Bautista maybe missed his chance there. Uh, quickly, you know, you get Eddie there, John Gibbons there. I think those are maybe the two really that cool. most people wanted to see. They get a huge pop. Russell Martin does as well. 
Hazel May, by the way, stunting with multiple languages. Ridiculous She did such a great job. But was there anything missing for you? Uh, Probably Donaldson, not, you know, hearing from him. And I know that he's still active and he's playing for a division rival, which uh, probably precludes it. But I just, when I think of those teams... That's who I think about. I think about the Bautista-Donaldson combo. I think about the, obviously, the bat flip. And I also think about the Donaldson slide. And they were all sort of together in that. And mm-hmm. I would have liked to, to hear a little bit from from Josh Donaldson. But uh, I thought, all in all, they gave him just, it was an incredible uh, ceremony. They did a fantastic job. And he got his due. Like If you're thinking about a guy who deserved that kind of love, Jose Bautista, in this market, was that guy, and, and I, I just thought it, it was it was just all around good for everybody to see. Yeah, it didn't look like Jose was shortchanged whatsoever. No. Right? Like, maybe, yeah, I'm thinking, oh, where's Josh? But like, it didn't feel like uh, that mattered much to Bautista, who was, you know, as you mentioned, you know, overcome a few times, uh, and it just felt like the right people were there and the right people sent messages in. And you mentioned it. I mean, the Blue Jays themselves did such an incredible job. It wasn't overkill either, too, which I think is important. Like, I, I was concerned a little bit because we were hearing so much in the lead up to it, and then he had the one day. Uh, retirement press conference signing the contract with the Jays and I just got worried like are they gonna are we just gonna hear too much about Jose Bautista this weekend is that even possible Mm -hmm. but I don't think it was too much like the pendant might be too much but other than that (laughs) like 40 minutes is not that crazy and I think it was just uh, class all around so uh, a job well done for the uh, for the Blue Jays there Uh, certainly was Uh, we will talk to Ben Ennis and Caitlin McGrath Ben at seven Caitlin at eight we'll continue the discussion about Bautista uh, and also the weekend that was for the Blue Jays and we'll touch on that ourselves just a little bit here Uh, we talked about Barrios and Bassett not having what they needed which is near perfection when you're pitching in front of a Blue Jays offense that has been anemic like it has. Frustrating. Uh, you mentioned concern with, you know, where we might be going with Bautista in the ceremony, you know, how long they can last. I was concerned about the Blue Jays' place uh, in the wildcard <laughs> race Saturday mm-hmm. after the loss, but uh, three straight results went their way after three straight results went the other way in the Mariners' favor. So they still have that one-and-a-half game yep. advantage over the Mariners after the Mariners lost their last two games to the Orioles and, of course, the Blue Jays' Winning on Sunday. I mean, Ryu officially supplants Manoa in terms of the rotation, which goes down to five with the 17 and 17. Now in the rear view, they go nine and eight. From what was, you know, a lot of information thrown at us, maybe the culmination of events, uh, a hard break in the schedule uh, coming up, which is a two game set with Philly midweek here. Is there. Is there something that is hitting you over the head in terms of like number one, forefront of your mind, this is the most important thing happening with the Blue Jays right now? Well, I think they got to get healthy, uh, number one. And I think by and large, they have been really lucky with the health that they've had this season. Like the pitching rotation we've talked about, just how they've been just about the best in in Major League Baseball. Um, But when you look at their injuries, there haven't really been that many to the rotation. Obviously, Bo being out really hurts you. So to get him back, I think having Bo out really exposed this team offensively. But then you have days like yesterday where you're like, why can't they do that all of the time, right? They haven't... When they made the trade-off from last year's team with the power and they decided that they were going to relinquish some power to be better defensively and maybe focus a little bit more uh, on pitching... You thought, okay, where are the runs going to come from? And finally, yesterday, you get a big three-run home run, which has been so rare for this team. And I think that when you have the pitching that this team has, 
I'm always going to have that little bit of, of hope, that, that flame that's going to continue to flicker, that if they can just string together hits and have maybe a, a big swing here and there, which shouldn't be asking that much because it's not like they're not talented, right? At the beginning of the year, if I showed you the lineup, I guess with the exception when Bo's hurt and you have Kevin Biggio and David Schneider in the three-hole, that changes things, right? Mm. But if I had showed you the lineup in April, I think almost everybody was like, this is this is a good team can with a lot of potential in the lineup itself, mm-hmm. right? So I think that when you have the pitching and you have the names that you have in this lineup, I'm always going to have hope that they can turn things around and, and win the postseason because pitching and defense is what rocks it come October time, and they have that in spades for sure. Yeah, why didn't they win in 2015? I mean, they ran into bullpens yep. that even the best lineups that you could put out there could uh, they could be handled right mm. uh, by the by the pitching and especially the relieving uh, that we saw from a team like the Kansas City Royals. I, I, for me, like watching, I don't know how realistic it was that Cody Bellinger would land with the Blue Jays, but he was the perfect fit. Uh, I know a reclamation project, I know. a lefty with power, a former it's so, MVP, so nice too. doing things that Simeon oh. did in terms of like, hey, you want to recoup value. Come to us. Yeah. Come play for the Toronto Blue Jays. They got hot though, right at the deadline. They decided they were going to trade anybody. Yeah, and I don't brutal. think I don't know. I don't think they were going to get him at the deadline. But I, I, if he was Brendan Belt, right. right? If he was the guy that they got in the offseason to do the things that Brandon Belt was brought into, mm-hmm. maybe Brandon Belt was the contingency plan. Maybe he was the number one plan A all along. But if Cody Bellinger was in this lineup, it would look so much different, right? It, because. Cody Bellinger was the best hitter in the series and he was by far the best hitter in the series. And he was the guy who, you know, even took mistakes or non mistakes out of the yard, but you know, fear in the heart, a guy who actually comes to the plate and you're like, okay, we got, I got to watch this at bat, Mm -hmm. right? Like it just felt a little bit different. His at bats versus everybody else. And Vladimir Guerrero jr. Despite a productive Sunday. I mean, that's supposed to be our Bellinger. I'm I get, I guess. And he, what again? Productive on Sunday, non-productive Friday, Saturday. It's that's exactly how the weekend went for the Blue Jays, and mm-hmm. just the lack of extra base power from him is—it's hitting you over the head, or it's hitting me over the head uh, at this point in the year. So it's fear of missing out. Uh, was it even possible at all? Just like how one more bat could change the complexion of things, yeah. and they, they don't grow on trees. But there was one that fell off a tree in Cody Bellinger that might have been available to you. And again, it's maybe he didn't want to be here. There's no chance. But I'm watching that thinking if you, if the right move was made there, if you were aggressive at the deadline, it feels like they're one bat away. Why did that not happen? Totally. It goes back to, to what I said before with the front office sort of being half in. Like why, why not go out and get a, a bat that solidifies the lineup? Because it, it – and credit to Brandon Belt because he's been really good. But to have Brandon Belt in your three-hole is not necessarily striking fear in opposing pitchers. He's done what a guy hitting seventh should do to make sure the the balance is there yeah. and the on-base is at the depths of the line. He's not a three-hitter. Totally. And when you have, I think, when you have struggles around guys who are in the meat of the order, it puts pressure on the Vladdies and the Bows to really perform. Like, Bo has been almost at an MVP level this year, but... Every time Vladdy comes up to the plate and hits a ground ball to short, that gets magnified because of the struggles for the rest of the team, right? I think if if the team was performing offensively and they were near even 
in the middle of the pack in most offensive categories, you wouldn't have fans just jumping all over Vladdy all of the time because they'd still be winning and they'd still be putting up runs. Yes, he'd be getting his fair share of criticism, but now it's just over and over and over again. And it's a byproduct of not having strength and runs contributed from the rest of the lineup too, right? If you had the six, seven, eight guys performing as well, you wouldn't be having these conversations about guys in the meat of the order. So, yeah, I think things uh, could be turning a little bit here. Like Whit Merrifield continues to be just Amazing. a revelation. He's been back to when he led the league twice in hits with the Kansas City Royals. Like he has been that good. And it's helped paper over a lot of the deficiencies that the team has felt with Bo being hurt. But I said when Bo got hurt, I think this team is going to really struggle to score runs similar to the Yankees when they lost judge because when they lost judge is when the season really went off the rails and and rightfully so he's Mm -hmm. arguably the best hitter in the game, but they, they just could not score at all. And when they took Bo out of this lineup originally, that's right. I thought was going to happen. And and for the most part it has yesterday was the exception. So if you can get Bo back, I think it really does wonders. And maybe, maybe this team can get off to the races a little bit here. I'm not sure how much you've seen to suggest that that actually will happen. But when you have a team that's, top five in the league in batting average and bottom five in the league in runners in scoring position. It's just, you start to wonder, like, does it normalize a little bit over the last couple months of the season here, month and a half of the season, or is it just going to remain a statistical anomaly for the rest of the season? And that's the major question that we're going to have answered in the last month and a half. And if they can, if they can normalize that a little bit, then they're going to be right there. Uh, the hope obviously has to have the former uh, that the important base hits will come in the important moments. Uh, 49 at-bats for Vladdy in the month, four extra base hits, yeah. one home run. Uh, it has not been a hitting bonanza from uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Not what you, not that we were expecting anything post-home run derby, but um, it, it was something going to change. Is a positive regression, not really sure uh, what you were counting on, but it has not happened. It's been a lot of what we have seen through mm-hmm. the balance. Uh, of this year. I think credit to before, you know, we move off the Blue Jays should go to Hunjin Ryu. Uh, just his third start, I mean, sort of by default he's supplanted um Alec Manoa because Manoa has sort of done it to himself mm-hmm. here. Uh but even having to re- remove or being removed from that Cleveland Guardians start after four innings, um he has shown enough for me to be number 5 to have a role on this team. I don't know what it's going to mean for September, late September playoffs. I'm not sure if there's a role there, but credit to him because he made a lot of money when he signed with the Toronto Mm -hmm. Blue Jays and he didn't even have to do what he's doing right now. He kind of could have mailed it in, right? Like not to say that you could put yourself in a position where the contract is terminated and you don't get paid the money that is owed to you, but he didn't have to work, I guess, as hard as he did to be here for the final two months. And now he's going to play a pretty sizable role in getting to the, getting them into the postseason. Excuse me. After we entered the year thinking, at least I thought there's no chance he's going to have any discernible impact on this team and on this race. And he is penciled in penned permanent marker, whatever you want to say into that fifth role right now, he is outpitched Alec Manoa. He might outpitch other guys down the stretch. And if he does, that would be uh, a great thing. Yeah. They needed a pleasant surprise. This team did. And whenever someone's coming back, from an injury of that magnitude he had been off for over a year you always want to caution 
what you can expect from that guy, right? And you think like, oh, if they get anything, this was at least my mentality. I think you're the same way. If they can get anything from Hinjin Ryu this season, then that's going to be a plus. And this guy has come in and in three starts, he has a 2.57 ERA. And this is coming back from Tommy John surgery. This team needed someone to step up and he has come in and given them five guys that you can roll out there and you have a... <laughs> I should say not even just a chance to win, but you could almost be favored every time any of the pitchers go out there. That's how good this rotation has been. And it's allowed you to, it's like, it's allowed you to send Alec Manoa down. It's allowed you to not have a guy in the rotation who's going to be consistently inconsistent. A repeat of last year where right. every fifth day you feel like you're going to lose. Right, which is what was happening early in the year with Alec Manoa. And they sent him down and brought him back up. And you thought that there was maybe a chance that he was going to turn things around. And this was not a time for experimenting with Alec Manoa. This is the time where the Blue Jays have to try their best to win games here in the middle of August Mm -hmm. and then into September and October. You have to give, you owe it to the team to give yourselves the best chance to win possible every single night out. And Hinjin Ryu, the choice is clear after even just three starts. He gives you a better chance to win baseball games than Alec Manoa does. And it's a pleasant surprise. I'll give you what I'm excited about with, you know, changing in seasons or changing in sports seasons ahead. Uh, You know, I will settle for contracts. Uh, between Austin Matthews and William Nylander. But like the training or the media day, start of training camp, the angst if neither is dealt with. Like it's gonna it's gonna be fun to talk about. I'm a sicko. I'm a sicko, but I want to talk about it. I want we need something from Austin Matthews by the end of summer before the start before he shows up in Toronto, there's gonna be something, right? It's and if there's something, it'll be interesting. So either way, like this this is starting to build in my mind, and it's like I, I think I want to applaud the city of Toronto for just like playing it cool here with Austin Matthews. Yeah. Like it could be complete, it, like everyone could be pulling their hair out right now. They're not for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if the you know the right insider said the right thing that just cooled everyone off. But this could get loud soon if it isn't dealt with, and it feels like the clock the clock isn't ticking clearly, and there shouldn't be any angst because we've been told there shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But it just feels like. Something's got to go here at, cer- at a certain point. So which one would you be more concerned about between Matthews and Nylander? Because for me, Nylander is the one that feels like is more urgent. Look, Matthews, from everything we've been hearing, mm-hmm. look, to your point, they've been saying, the insider has been saying, there's nothing to worry about here. But Nylander hasn't had the same vibe. It, it hasn't really come out yeah. that they're close in any respect. There's always been that like, at least $2 million gap in what Nylander is asking for and what the Leafs think he's worth. So that one for me would be the big, big, big talking point going to training camp if he still doesn't have a contract. I guess it depends on what the priority is. Like Austin Matthews, like he holds this organization in the palm of his hands, like whatever he wants to do. And I guess we've been led to believe that he just wants to be here and he'll be here if it's too much money. It doesn't really matter. He's here. I I think you're going to make those concessions. I guess it's Nylander, but I'm more worried about overreacting to the current situation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see him traded. I think the most valuable thing maybe to this this team in 23-24 is the fact that William Nylander is one of the best players in the world, one of the best offensive weapons in the division, in the conference, in the league, is going to be paid way under market value for one more year. And if you give up on that, if you trade him away because you can't get a contract done for 24, 25, mm-hmm. and beyond, well, then you, you you miss the forest for the trees. Like, you need to use what you have, which is the final season of him being a guy not making or breaking the bank. 
use that to your advantage. I I would like to see some patience. If they just don't, if they don't use that, if they let another team use William Nylander for under $7 million, it's a mistake in my opinion. So I'm worried about an overreaction to him having that hard stance. Uh, I'm not really worried about them. Like if they don't get a contract done with him, am I going to be freaking out? No, because I think you can play it like Pasternak. And if he wants to leave and you lose him for nothing, yeah, that's bad. But at least you had this season. Yeah, I think that is an excellent point. And I'll contrast it to where the Toronto Raptors were with Fred Van Vliet, for example, and not re-signing him and losing him for nothing. The frustration there was that they weren't expected to compete and they didn't have mm. a chance to win. So you're thinking like... Spending spending on him could have been worse than the alternative. Right, yes. and, and why not trade him? Because you're, you're not going to win. What's the point of keeping him? Like, why even try to re-sign him? It, why even risk losing him for nothing? Mm-hmm. But the Leafs are in a different spot because they are expected to win. They are expected to compete. So if you have William Nylander, to your point on that incredible deal, Nylander in a contract year with the skills that he has, knowing that he, if he has a good year, could command what, be 10, yeah. $11 million moving forward in his next contract. So if you get 45, maybe even 50 goals from William Nylander, yeah, he walks at the end of the year if you can't re-sign him, but... You're, you're going to be a really good team if you get that kind of production from William, William Nylander. So I don't think going into this year and not having him signed is the biggest deal in the world because you have a motivated William Nylander, Nylander that mm-hmm. should do wonders for your organization. Uh, we got to hit a break. We have a goofy Canadian sports moment after the break in yeah. the A-list. Uh, I, goofy Canadian sports moments, like we're not immune to them. They happen. I mean, I, I guess for it to be a Canadian sports moment, it has to be <laughs> specific to us. But we... Weird things happen when Canadians are doing sports and a weird thing happened at the National Bank Open in Montreal. We'll do that in the A-list next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Now it's time for the A-list. Bing bong. Bing bong. Bing bong. Okay, got to be real quick with this because we don't have much time. Uh, But the most critical moment... Arguably a tiebreak. Igus Fiontek and Jessica Pagula in the semifinal. And mm-hmm. considering what happened in the final, probably, you know, maybe the tournament on the line. The one of the wackiest things that I've heard at a sporting event in re- like we just saw Adam Hadwin get tackled uh, on the 18th green at, at the uh, RBC Canadian Open. This might top it in terms of wacky moments. We have the audio. I can't say it better than we can play it. Joe just came on mid rally. Oh wow! I love how like, it sounds like it stops and then starts that's, again. That's the best part like, by I, far. I, I, like, who, it had to be. It had to be deliberate at that yeah. point. Now, if, if it's restarting, then someone has to be pressing the button. How does that happen? Yeah, I mean, Cotton. There's no break in Cotton Eye Joe. Like there, there's no like someone tried to turn it off or someone restarted it. I, I it's just the uh, best it's it is the best possible song too that I could yes, play like I couldn't is. handpick a better nothing song would be more, or nothing comical. would be more goofy than that <laughs> it's, it's the best comedy song you could possibly play it's not it's not a comedy by any stretch of the imagination say it's, it's a dance song but to have that play is just remarkable Unbelievable. Yeah, we've gotten more serious about sports here I think in the last 20 years but it just feels like a Canadian thing to happen that mm-hmm. Cotton Eye Joe came out uh, or came on in the most important moment uh, at the National Bank Open at least in Montreal uh, we're going to talk about that with Eugenie 
Jeannie Bouchard at 8.30. She was tweeting about it, so we'll ask her about it, Cotton Eye Joe. Uh, But up next, we got Ben Ennis to discuss Jose Bautista's legacy, his weekend, and, of course, the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll do that next.